0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au
1: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
2: Tune in to Done By Law.
0: An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community
3: perspectives.
0: Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays.
3: Good evening and welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au, and 3CR Digital. It's 6pm and you're here with Ingrid and soon you'll be here with Beth as well. We'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we're broadcasting and recording and where we are, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and to pay our respects to their elders past and present. Tonight we'll be exploring the issue of cultural competency of legal practitioners appearing in matters involving First Nations clients and in discussing the rights of First Nations people coming before the courts. We'll be talking about what cultural competency is and how it impacts First Nations clients and how lawyers can improve cultural safety for First Nations clients involved in legal issues or requiring advice. We're very fortunate tonight to be joined by Avelina Tirago, who's a barrister based in North Quarter Lane Chambers in Brisbane. Avelina is a proud Wonka woman from the central West Queensland and was admitted to the profession in 2009 and called to the bar in 2017. She has a general practice with a focus on inquest and commissions of inquiry, regulatory and administrative law. Prior to joining North Quarter Lane Chambers, Avelina worked as senior legal officer for the Office of the Health Ombudsman and as counsel assisting in the Coroner's Court of Queensland. In 2014, Avelina was selected as an Indigenous Fellow by the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights to undertake a two month fellowship in Geneva. From 2018 to 2022, Avelina was also the President of the Indigenous Lawyers Association of Queensland. She's also a member of a number of different legal policy committees relating to Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders. In February 2020, Avelina was appointed as a part-time legal member of the Mental Health Review Tribunal. Avelina, welcome. Thanks for
2: having me.
3: Um, now that's quite a CV. We're very, very lucky to have you um, joining our show tonight. We wanted to ask, um, by way of framing, w- what is cultural competence? I mean, what does it mean, and how can it lead to improved cultural safety for First Nations people dealing with legal issues? Thanks, Ingrid.
2: Um, I also like to extend my acknowledgement to the traditional owners wherever listeners might be. I'm here
3: in
2: Mianjin, mm-hmm. north of the Maiwa, um, on the and Turrbal country. Uh, so, I guess in terms of understanding cultural safety, all these sort of words might be confusing for those who don't have a lot of interaction with our community. And there's a difference between them. So cultural awareness is really understanding the historical context of where we are today and where things have come from at the point of colonisation. And cultural competency is really looking at how your journey intersects with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and how your actions might impact on the lives of First Nations people in this country. And cultural safety is really checking the cultural awareness and cultural competency, checking your privilege and making sure that your actions are
3: not impacting on
2: feelings
3: of safety for First Nations people who you might be engaging with. Thanks, Avelina. Uh, and to what extent, I mean you've you've mentioned the history of colonisation. T- to what extent does the road to cultural competency start with a history lesson? I mean, to be culturally competent, do we need to know about the impacts of invasion, colonisation, and dispossession that cause disproportionate interaction between First Nations people and the justice system, for example?
2: Well, it's no different from the other lessons that we've learned throughout our schooling. It's just um, the reality for First Nations people that our stories are not shared through our lens. So it's nothing that we shouldn't already know uh, for some reason. And my own view is that it's the, the black history that they don't want to share. Um, but that's—it has to start with understanding where this country has been formed from um, the le- through the lens of First Nations people and and how we've seen colonisation throughout the generations.
3: And Avelina, knowing that First Nations communities are diverse with different language and histories, um, someone practicing in Queensland where you are, for example. Um, there might be a very different history of First Nations people in Victoria, for example, where Beth and I are based. um, Do you agree with that? And where should people go to find out the specific histories of the First Nations clients they might be representing?
2: I think it's always good to know your own backyard first. So know where your your footprint is. So if you haven't been down to the local community the even know who the traditional owners are, know what languages have been spoken through those lands. Um, That's a good starting point, knowing the traditional names of those places. And in terms of how that intersects with your job, if you've got clients from other traditional lands that might be from, you know, um, New South Wales, understanding where that person comes from and their community and what their history is, because it impacts on how... Um, that person has seen the world, and regardless of whether they've lived on country or not, um, because those, all of
3: those um, uh,
2: experiences impact on on how they live their lives.
3: Would there be? It might be different from place to place, but uh, Aboriginal community-controlled organisations are a good place to start by looking at where, um, what the history is, um, and how practitioners can better learn about the people that they're interacting with?
2: Yeah, so we've got a lot of Aboriginal community-controlled organisations. We've also got the um, the health organisations, but also the land councils or their equivalents around the place. Um, there are also a lot of elders groups that exist in community, and... Um, but every year, I suppose COVID might have impacted for a moment, um, but every year we celebrate NAIDOC Week and there's always a lot of events, do with reconciliation week, sorry business, um, sorry day, national sorry day. So there's a lot of publicly known events that happen in our community that where we come together as a community that lawyers can attend though um, to get a greater awareness of of the communities. But if they're going into specific communities, and in particular regional and remote areas, um, getting in touch with the uh, local Shire Council, so at least in Queensland we have a lot of Aboriginal Shire Councils, and you need permission to go into those communities. So that's your starting point, talking to those councils and... um, you know broadening your understanding everyone's got websites now as well so it's really no excuse for lawyers not to at least understand the history of the places that they might need to visit or um where their clients might come from
0: great thanks so much Evelina. beth here with ingrid um our next question's about communication what does culturally competent communication look like and how do you know if you've got it right
2: Um, it is very difficult, and it really does come with experience. I think that you could read textbooks, um, authored by anthropologists about Aboriginal societies, but unless you're in community and mixing it with us, you're really not going to pick up on the nuances of how communication works, and especially... If you're looking at, for example, central desert communities where there's a lot of non-verbal communication that happens as well, that's only going to come with immersing yourself within the community. But I guess as a starting point, if, for example, the students that I teach during um, legal practice at university, um, they should at least know um, whose country they live on, what the traditional name of that place is, um they should at least uh have some understanding of their client of where they come from. If they're going in blind, asking those questions and knowing to ask the questions. You know, um you know, where does your family come from? Um of that of that client. Um, and sometimes for parts of our community that might have been part of a stolen generation that don't have that connection, that can be a difficult conversation to have. So being attuned to how history has impacted on the different experiences of people within our community. And again, it leads back to that knowing history through our lens and understanding how that intersects with your job um, and checking your privilege. So how is your... Um, lived experience and the way that you've been raised and your social environment, how does that impact on your knowledge and your ability to communicate? Um, I guess the final sort of basic concept would be don't overcomplicate things. Talk straight. That's the way we say Talk straight. Simple language. Uh, You should be able to pick up if your client doesn't understand what you're talking about and break it down into simple uh, concepts and get people to paraphrase back to their understanding. So for me, that's what cultural competency at a basic level should look like if you're going in blind with no knowledge of who you're talking to.
3: Thanks, Avalina. You can't see us here, but we're both nodding vigorously to all of these (laughs) Excellent communication tips thank you um, you've given us some excellent ways to um, think about communication strategies what are some of the biggest mistakes that legal practitioners can make in representing First Nations clients and what are some of the things to watch out for
2: I think the biggest mistake is not being aware of how gratuitous concurrent can completely devail um, the work that you're doing, and this is especially
3: important when someone's in the courtroom setting. And what what is gratuitous concurrence? So in simple
2: terms, it's signing up for something you haven't really agreed to. So Mm -hmm. saying yes for the sake of saying yes, because you don't like that environment that you're in. So by agreeing with someone, it hopefully removes you from that situation. And a lot of that has come from the impacts of colonisation, the imbalance of power between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and community, and members of um, authoritative stature. So police, court, um, doctors, people in positions of power who um, have a higher, that sit higher on the balance of power.
3: So that might be something to look out for, not even in just your own communication with a client, but maybe also a record of interview or something where there might be a record of them agreeing to a lot of different propositions, and you might be questioning whether that's actual agreement. Is that is that right?
2: Absolutely.
3: And particularly in records of interview, it's really important that
2: you listen to the tape and not just read the transcript, because there's a lot of verbal cues that you should be able to pick up on that aren't present in a written transcript. So on paper might say that they're agreeing, but then when you hear the tone of a question being put to someone, the way it's framed, the use of double negatives, if it's a passive as opposed to active tense, um, all of those things can be very confusing, um, particularly Double negative. and so, by listening to the voice recording of that recorded interview, and even better if it's videotaped, um uh, watching body language, whether it is actually a yes response.
3: That's such a great point to look out for and to kind of do due diligence and not rely on a transcript and to go back to the source to to really be able to see how that communication played out. Um, Avelina, thank you so much for your insight so far. We're going to play a track now that you've chosen. Um, this one is um, Black Matriarchy by Barker. Um, for our listeners, there's a language warning on this one. We're going to listen to the track and then we're going to come back and listen to Avelina um, talk about some of these issues in more detail.
1: Humanity, when is it enough? i <laughs> colonize my black mining from a dream time, I go back They commit a genocide through my tracks They raped our mothers less than my black They bought the violence when they attacked I ain't here to start trouble, I'm just here to state facts You can't paint me how you wanna paint cracks And I'm tied to my mob, got my mob on my back (sighs) Waratahs are covered in blood Whitewashing our history to cover it up Proof is all in the pudding Cause this nation couldn't give a fuck about us We survive unseated, undivided Our people stay fighting cause the flame is ignited We stay righteous, we cannot be silenced Cause silence is violence, the reason we're divided And they choose not to digest the truth Instead they just go ahead and delude our youth I like the system cause it just suits you Give a fuck about the law, yeah, I'd rather grassroots Black to the bone, hack to the busy Mob on my back, yeah they all rock with me Barker in my blood, bad river flow through me I'm matriarchy, your bloodline 120 black, black This for the black matriarchs This for my sisters who lived in the dark This for my sisters who carry our past on their shoulders This is for black matriarchs This is for all of our women This is for all of our children Couldn't care less about the monarch I'ma set fire to the kingdom, I'm coming for them More hell to black matriarchs I'm the pain and the proof The history that lays out the truth And they couldn't walk a mile in our shoes Tell us to go bush when they all introduce Fuck it, we've been here for too long Matriarchy blood, yeah, been built strong Songlines deep, yeah, got me singing songs Cause I can't forget where I came from Barking G country, mungo man Pass it to my kids, tell them it's your land I came from the dirt, go back in red sand Desert river uncle, I'm proud of who I am Creator created me tough And I'm calling out all your bluffs. Saying the past is all in the past. Well, that dark past still lives in my mouth. I say radical. I know the truth Couldn't kill my ancestors I'm the proof I know I still Got some screws loose But my third eye's open And I'm looking right through Looking at you Nunko right here Gonna do what it do So my little black seeds Ain't gonna prove shit to you Not you sent me Gone bud What do Freaker sent me Hold it down for you This for the black matriarchs This for my sisters Who lived in the dark This for my sisters Who carry our past On their shoulders This is for black matriarchs This is for all of our women This is for all of our children Couldn't care less About the monarch I'm a set five. The kingdom I'm coming for them will help to matriarchy You know, I have a culture, I am a cultured person. Don't try and suppress me, and don't call me a problem. I have never left my country. I am not the problem.
0: That was Black Matriarchy by Barker. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR.org.au and 3CR Digital. And we're here with Avelina Tarago talking about cultural competence in First Nations cases. Avelina, to start us off, um, why did you choose that track?
1: Um,
2: Because I'm a black woman who came from a black woman who came from a black woman. Um, I think it's really important, especially for our women, that um, we hold strong in our communities. So
0: that song really does. It resonates for me. Absolutely. So so far tonight we've talked about what cultural competence is in representing First Nations clients. Avelina, how will this notion of cultural competence differ depending on the type of case, for example, a criminal case versus providing advice about an intervention or a protection order?
2: Um, there might be some things that cross over, um, but in terms of, like, a criminal case, you're going to be looking at, for example, the record of interviews, those things that we just talked about with 2 is concurrence and, um, I guess, making sure that you work through that personal or um, history of that person in terms of the mitigating factors that you might be... Um, relying on, in a sentence, for example, in a criminal case, um, looking at how that impacted on that person's journey before the court. And that would perhaps differ from an intervention or protection order in terms of um, child protection, if we're looking at at that as an example. Um, If you're looking at the historical experience of that family Um, and also some of the things that I think come up in intervention and protection orders is uh, that particularly uh, young women they look for help and then they're punished for looking for help by removing their children. So um, really understanding uh, the racism that also occurs within the construct of child protection Um, and and where there's been lack of support and where the system has really failed these young mothers, um, who in in many cases have also been children under protection orders. Um, So, you really have to understand the experience within that setting. And again, there's going to be skills that intersect, like uh, understanding how to communicate. there's also gender issues. So we do have cisgendered roles within our community. Women's business and men's business is spoken of um, quite openly in terms of that it exists, but actually understanding um, how those cisgender roles work within the community and how your role as a lawyer, regardless of how you identify your, identi- your identity as a person, how that fits in with that cultural society and how it might impact. So, for example, um, uh, if you appeared to be cis female and you had a male client, cis male client, if there's an offense of a sexual nature, that might be a bit concerning of how to probably get instructions of the cultural divide in terms of what would be spoken about. So some of these things are... Um, looking at cultural protocols and where they exist and how that impacts on
3: how you interact with the client. Thanks, Avelina. And in addition to these sorts of matters, you've also worked in the coronial space and you've actually written a guide for use in coronial matters in Queensland called Sorry Business, a guide to cultural competency and engagement between the Coroner's Court of Queensland and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people how did the need for this guide come to be identified and what does the guide contain?
2: Yeah, so this came out um, in response to some things that went wrong administratively for a family of two, or two families of um, two young Aboriginal men. And um, there was a need to really address that and help staff navigate, through um, sorry business and the complexities of it. So sorry business is the term we use for the mourning period. Um, it's an Aboriginal English term um, that's been adopted across the country. And um, the guide really sets out uh, those steps. So, for example, how belongings should be returned and the significance of it, how a mix of kin should be appointed and and what the role of family is, because our definition of family within community is very broad, um, where that might not necessarily sit within the Western framework and how the courts interpret family and familial responsibility. So really helping uh, the court to understand those issues and understanding that Torres Strait Islander people have different protocols that might not intersect with the experience of Aboriginal people and understanding how those decisions are made in in that context. So I was fortunate to have um, close friends and family that belong to the Torres Strait Island community who shared those experiences with me, that I was able to inform the court with their permission.
0: Great, that just seems to be an invaluable resource and exciting uh, that it's in use. Um, are there any experiences you've had with the court system that you can share that demonstrate either excellent or poor cultural competence? Um, I, I can share
2: one experience, and I guess showing the, the difference in how I run my practice, um, I represented a young original man um, who had been co-accused for another offender, um, and it proceeded to sentence. In my preparation, I had spoken to the family. I had asked elders to um, provide cultural report for that young person and set out that person's contribution within the community. Uh, My um, colleague at the bar table, hadn't done any of those things and so informing the court to understand how to take culture and the lived experience of um, those young people was really left with nothing for the other person. So it it really shows you have to be uh, proactive and take the time to build relationships. They don't happen overnight. Um, So it's not something you can just pick up and put down in one go. And I think that's an example of how there's an expectation within community. We're not gonna just tell you what you need to know. We need to know that uh, you're trusted with the information that we give you. So you need to demonstrate to us as a community member Um, that you've earned that right to have that information. So do your job.
3: A really good point, Avelina. And what do you think the impact is on the bench or the impression of the judicial officer when those cultural issues aren't put in that context? Is that damaging for someone's case and someone's outcome? I, I
2: think it is because... Um, you have, at least from the bar table, you haven't done your job Um, just because it's the too hard basket um, or you haven't been taught that, it doesn't mean that it goes by the wayside. And it might mean the difference between um, a a parole eligibility date or um, a lesser sentence because in mitigation it has mattered more that have those things on the record and that you've taken the time to uh, inform the court because um, we're there, that's our, our number one duty not to mislead the court and, and to help the judicial member um, in, in forming their decision. They can't do that if you don't like, give them the tools to work
3: with. So really being culturally competent is not just for the benefit of your client but is also part and parcel of your duty to the court.
2: Yes, and I think also you don't know what you don't know and that includes judges, on tour. sure. So if you're able to articulate that, whether it's ending up uh, uh, cultural reports or uh, giving... Uh, the court something to work with, so the Buckney Bar book that the New South Wales Public Defenders Office uses um, in terms of criminal law setting, uh, those things are going to improve the bench's knowledge of these social factors that they might not otherwise have experience in. They might see it happening before they court, but they to go through the um, academic exercise, I suppose, of putting it in in their terms and in a way that
3: can be used. That's what I see as important. And, Evelina, I guess this comes down to an issue of representation as well. And we know that in Australia there are a few First Nations people on the bench or at the bar. How can we ensure in that context that the voices and experience of First Nations clients are genuinely heard and considered during court proceedings where there might be non-Indigenous decision-makers and advocates also involved.
2: Yeah, so again, I think it's educating the bench in a way um, that is within their jurisdiction. So really going through the case law um, and finding those, um, those precedents for them to rely on and having the material that you need that aligns with those precedents. And I think the university needs to, that's the starting point. We need to train the next generation of lawyers coming up the ranks on where to start looking for that. Um, And I suppose in terms of having conversations with um, the National Indigenous um, Legal Conference, which is going to be in Tasmania this year in December, um, attending, seeing what we're talking about as a a community of legal practitioners,
0: Um, having those conversations, building those networks and gaining that experience. Thanks so much, Avelina. Beth here. I think as a practitioner who does work with First Nations clients, your insights tonight have been invaluable and I'll definitely take them away and share them with my colleagues as I'm sure many who are listening tonight will. We've been speaking with Avelina Tarago, Avelina is a proud Wankamadla woman and she's from Central West Queensland and she's currently a barrister based at the North Quarter Lane Chambers, Brisbane. We've been speaking to her about uh, cultural competence in First Nations cases. You've been listening to Done by Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Uh, stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next.